Hi there. I'm so bad at this. <laughs> hey there, everybody, and welcome back to the Cinema Drip Podcast. This is Christian here. No Scott today, and that is because today we're going to be talking Sundance. Now, just like last year, I was able to attend the Sundance Film Festival virtually from the comfort of my own living room and sweatpants and coffee and donuts alongside my current roommate, Tyler Penn. Tyler, thank you for coming back and doing Sundance again. Of course. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> So, uh, I did want to start by saying, you agreed to do Sundance again this year. Why did you agree to do Sundance again this year? Well, Christian, because you were there. No, because <laughs> that's part of it. I won't say nah. Uh, last year was a dope experience. Lots of movies. A ton of different genres. ton of different directors. Uh, opportunity to watch films before everyone else in our country and most of the world. Um yeah, and so I think that it was a pretty eye-opening experience last time, and we got to do it again. You found your second favorite movie of the year. Yes, last year. I did. Shout out Coda. All right, so the, what what did you think of, generally, Sundance this year? How did it compare to last year? This year, I think that the general pool of movies, I think the general pool is a higher quality than last year's general pool, but I don't think that this year's highs hit the highs of last year. I think that there was a couple movies last year that just blew me away. I know they blew you away. I don't know if any movies this year got to that level for me, but I think that I thoroughly enjoyed just about every movie this year. Do you did you see any themes running around in Sundance of like what specific movies were chosen? I mean, it's it's okay if not, but yeah, did like a theme of the festival come up this year? I'm not sure if there's any that really stuck out to me. What about you? Soft science fiction, just because two of the oh. movies on here kind of had that, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure a couple more had that also. Hmm. Um, I mean, obviously there's there's a bit of activism in some some of the things that we watched. Yeah, but that's about it. I, I feel like we only saw eleven, which is eleven <laughs> more than more, only yeah, which is eleven more than most people saw. I I, I understand that, but I. I want to jump into it, and but I also want to say we're going to be doing rankings 11 to 1. Uh, we don't know how many of these movies have been picked up. Some of them have been. Some of them have not. Uh, outside of just talking about these movies, though, I do want to invite you that if there's something about this movie that reminds you of something else or that calls back another movie that we've seen or you're going to compare it to something else, feel free to do so. Sweet. All right. Let's start with our number 11, and that is Duel. So, science fiction comedy, kind of, written and directed by Riley Stearns and starring Karen Gillian, which people know as Nebula from the MCU. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't say I hated this movie. Mm -hmm. it, so, the general plot, when people are terminally ill, they can choose to be given a clone who will take their place after they die. And so our main actress does so, but then she ends up not dying. And so she's kind of, there are two of them now. What did you think? Because you were, you were very much not a fan. Yeah, you had asked me, I think it was Friday night, we'd watched our first two films, which film I was actually most excited for, for the rest of the weekend. I think I listed Duel as one of them. And the opening scene of the movie, I, w I was pretty excited. I don't know. There's an actual duel that takes place, and it had me on the you know edge of my seat and everything. I was like, "What's gonna happen?" I think I was just largely disappointed though, because I was excited for what's gonna happen, but I think they kind of shot themselves in the foot, because I I was hoping for a more dystopian future that they're diving into you know the shortfalls of humanity. But then the whole concept of duel is very limited. Like you said, it's only for those who are terminally ill. But then even of those who are terminally ill, it's like of a subcategory that somehow doesn't die. And and they said that there's very few of them, but apparently every single day there's a duel that's televised. So how many actually is there? It, it, it just, it, it confused itself. Yeah. And... I, I, maybe it was trying to say something about humanity, but I didn't. I didn't really get what it was. Yeah, like there wasn't something to walk away with. It, it just was kind of flat. 
Now, Riley Stearns is a popular Sundance director. You're probably going to see this movie come out somewhere. Probably not in wide release, but, yeah. but you know, it, it might, maybe it's for someone. Yeah. It's just not maybe. for me. Yeah. I don't think it's for either of us. But I will say stop doing Karen dirty. It seems like she can only play robotic characters. E- well, she's played a robot. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes, this is true. And she played in, 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 in a video game, Jumanji... Yeah. We're a non-real person, so <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so yeah, sure, sure. Give her a shot. All right, let's uh, let's move on. That was dual. Uh, we have what do we have next? We've got Alice. All right, Alice is a movie that I think is actually probably already picked up, uh, and it's got some noise. So it was written and directed by oh man, Kristen Verlinden. Stars Kiki Palmer as a woman who escapes from a plantation. She's a slave in this plantation. She escapes and it turns out that the year is actually 1973. Mm -hmm. Now, it's a pretty cool concept. And it's also based in real life because there were some slaves who after the Civil War were not told that the Civil War had occurred. That civil rights had been a thing. Mm -hmm. And so they went on living in this plantation. This movie, I think, was... A lot of stuff on the surface, but didn't go deep into into what this meant for the character Alice when she actually realizes that she, her entire life has been a lie. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think even the setting of it, of 1970s, her coming out, um, a lot of opportunity. The idea of freedom and black identity. Um, but I think they just missed a lot of nuance in being in that era of the civil rights movement, it, you know, key figures of that time and, and not exploring, I think fully of like what is freedom and how they're still in this play against racism that she comes out to, uh, even how they move along the plot. It seemed a little fishy. Um, she just like reads and suddenly like just knows all that's happened in this abridged history she so so i think the there were two scenes that weren't working for me when she goes and watches this movie i think the movie is coffee and, and it stars pam greer famous actress of black exploitation films and she sees this great black actress just like kicking butt and then she goes that's me when 24 hours ago she was in a plantation and like that i don't know that dramatic shift didn't work for me yeah and also there's one point where like the next day she's she's gonna plan an escape or to break out everyone else who's in the presentation she goes i'm gonna need more books and they go to the library <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm not like the pieces aren't clicking together for me yeah, something about the power of education which i can get behind but lab <laughs> i don't know like elaborate a little i think another interesting point that they missed was i think even like the plantation owner who's like clung to this ideal and they even started giving like a rationale for it in the movie i was like i feel like they should dive into that kind of subconscious nature of it of why these people are defending the institution of slavery and they just did it it was just kind of like a one line oh we're doing it for your good which is like the super twisted sense of logic but it's been so prevalent, I think, throughout America's history, but just wasn't really drawn upon. So, I, I mean, I understand people who would find this movie empowering. I, I just feel like I wanted more, and from such a cool premise, there could have been more. Yeah. Uh, cool, that was Alice. Let's move on. Let's keep going. Chugging along. 892. Uh, 892, movie that's written and directed by... Abby Damaris, and it stars John Boyega as a as a character who was in the it was the Marines, right? Mm-hmm. He was in the Marines, uh, and he is supposed to be getting money from uh, was it the disability? No, not disability. The the veterans from yeah, vet, the, the VA from the VA mm-hmm. Veterans Affairs. Uh, but there is a mix up in his school in, in the school he went to college in, so. 
the money never gets to him. Mm-hmm. Wrongfully charged. Yeah. Wrongfully charged. He goes to a bank and holds it hostage. And the people in the bank say that they could give him the money. But he says, no, I don't want it from you. I want the right thing to be done. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little torn on this movie because i don't really think this movie did anything wrong yeah it just didn't thrill me Mm -hmm. i don't i don't i don't know if that's the best way to say it but what 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 happened for you no i get that i think that it's almost like bank heist vibe but then not it doesn't really have the thrill of a bank heist like it just he he walks in at the beginning of the film so this isn't even a spoiler he like tells the people in the bank that he's not going to kill them so there's no threat of that like we know right from the start kind of what his intention is i think what it missed out is just the depth of character i think he has some great lines and i think there's some acting i really enjoyed from john boyega but I was hoping for some kind of like flashback, some kind of what's led him up to this point. They try to do a lot of it through just straight up dialogue of what's going on, but it didn't really hit a depth, I think. And I think that this movie, I don't know, the it needed to be outside of the bank more. Mm-hmm. And because some of these, they do show some flashback scenes and I think they're very effective, but it's not enough. So it, it's it's almost like this movie needed more, even though everything it did wasn't wrong. Yeah. I think they also could have done more with the supporting cast. Because they all have relations to the VA, whether they have they formerly served or they had family who served and the problems they've run into. But, I mean, the best you get is one of the people who tries to help them at the end just, like, adds a trinket in remembrance of him to like a collection he has like you don't see any life change about it and maybe that's part of the point is that this man is just part of the system that has just been kind of exploited in our country um but i think they could have just done more i don't know i feel like that's been a common theme for these first three just great premise and what but it just the execution just wasn't really there this movie was acquired and people are going to be able to go see it uh john boyega is great in this yeah and so you should check it out let us know what you think but yeah that was 892 moving right along uh we've got leonor will never die so what this is number eight yep this is number eight for us leonor will never die okay so it was written and directed by martika ramirez escobar martika martika (laughs) i want you to give the i want you to give the synopsis for us man it is a filipino action movie but it's about this retired esque old grandma who formerly wrote action movies and sees an ad basically rewarding money for someone to write a script and so she goes back to write a script as she's writing she gets knocked unconscious goes into a coma where she then becomes a character in her unfinished action movie this movie is kind of cool mm-hmm and you you do see i mean even if you've never seen a filipino action movie you get the style right like it's mm-hmm. grainy there's a bunch of fighting sequences there's the leading man he's got the sexy <laughs> and you've got her walking around confused because she's also kind of stuck in this world thinking about her dead son mm-hmm. uh now what what's the best way to say this movie I don't know. I feel like we've used the word disappointing before already. Yeah. It, it's, it's not right. disappointing necessarily. It's nice. Yeah. But it's not more than nice. Yeah. I think it's best moments. One, I okay, I think for me, not knowing that the action genre is so crucial to Filipino film, I appreciate it a lot more after hearing from Martika and the group that created the film. Um it's cool that they use that genre as this launching platform. I think my favorite parts of it is when it started getting meta, which is also when it started getting super confusing. Um, ends up being like story within a story within a story. You have to watch it. It, it might one up Inception for you. But it's basically just trying to discern like how you try to write your own story, especially when you start getting to the end. And so I like that. It just it gets a little confusing, though. I think I got lost in the mess a little bit. Like, I was like, I feel like Martika's onto something. I don't know about the ex- 
again, I, I don't want to say the execution of it, but they do have an awesome dance scene, <laughs> which I'm a big fan. I realize if you throw dancing in a film, like I'm tuned in. I okay. Well, there there was one thing in 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 particular. This is a woman who's trying to relive her glory days because she was a famous director. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, I guess it was interesting of what was it to hold on to something and try to recreate that to the point where it takes over your reality. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe there should have been more to the movie. And it's very unfair to say because Sundance is an indie film festival. But maybe if we'd seen much more, like more fight sequences or more elaborate fight sequences or even like a more meta thing... Because you're using that genre of fight, I, I, I use it more. Maybe higher budget. Higher budget is an awful word, but you know, like higher scale. Yeah, that's true. I think they could have also drawn on the relationship between her and her remaining son, because that relationship she does not like, like him. Does not like him, and I think part of the movie is also finding space for them to connect. But I just, I never really connected with his character. I guess neither did she. But. <laughs> All right, that was Leonor Will Never Die. Now, number seven, Call Jane. Call Jane, directed by Phyllis Nash and also written... Oh, no, it was not written by her. Written by Haley Shore and Rashawn Selly. Stars Elizabeth Banks. Sigourney Weaver, also. Mm-hmm. It's about a woman. She's pregnant, but the pregnancy is honestly taking its toll on her life. Mm-hmm. And so she decides to get an abortion and contacts a women's group who work underground helping people get, helping women get these abortions. Mm -hmm. Um, And it talks about their experiences working with a shady doctor, trying to cut costs down, trying to advocate for people. And you, I believe, are a much bigger fan of this movie Mm -hmm. than I am. And I want to know what parts of this movie are working for you. Yeah. I think some of the parts that are working is when they're showing... I think when they're more nitty-gritty. Like, at one point, they're in the operating room while she's getting her abortion. And it's this not very sanitary place with this doctor that's kind of shady. She was driven there, like, blindfolded. And she's just trusting someone to do this operation. And... It's like chilling. And I, I felt it for her. I remember I was like visibly like cringing forward watching this scene. I think it just hammered home. Just I think a lot of the fear that comes with it. Especially it's during a time where abortions are illegal. Um, hence the Jane group that would help women out. And so knowing that at that point she was going to do whatever. At one point she, can, she contemplated just falling downstairs. And knowing that she's really at the end of her rope. And she feels like she has to do this and just the conditions of it and feeling helpless and feeling that vulnerable where she can't even tell her family about it. I think it just showed a lot of the reality of it. And I think a lot of the pushback of wherever you fall on the political spectrum when it comes to abortions. I think one of the things is if they're legal or not, people are probably going to find a way to get them, um, which makes everything a lot more complicated. I think they really captured that well. Um, I think even just a lot of the issues underneath of, um, why abortions happen or how people are impregnated, whether that's a a abusive relationship. Yeah. I think that it hit on some of that nuance. So the, I think Elizabeth Banks is phenomenal in this movie. I think she's absolutely wonderful. The, the thing that, that kind of, I didn't understand is they're treating abortion rights as a thing to do, but not delving into how difficult this has been for women's lives. Mm. So it starts off with J- um, Joy, who is Elizabeth Banks's character, understanding that this is basically going to be terrible for her health. Mm-hmm. And then the immediate next thing is her contemplating getting an abortion and I feel like it's hinted at that she didn't want to lose the pregnancy, mm-hmm. but that's it. It's only hinted at. Yeah. And, and and so it it made it seem almost like every woman wanted to get an abortion, which is totally not what this movie's about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's treating it more like a 
cause rather than how do you care for these women? Mm. And, and even the end, I thought, because this isn't really a spoiler alert, but it does reveal that Roe v. Wade gets passed. But it, I mean, it's still difficult for women now and they still face stigma and it treated like, okay, cool. Now all women are great forever. <laughs> yeah, totally. We succeeded. We're just done. <laughs> Which I, I don't know. Did you ever get that sense? I think so. I think another component of it that I think rubbed me the wrong way. I think that's part of the reason why it's not near the top um, of our list is even the post-abortion like realities for women. It doesn't. It in this movie, it felt like oh, you get your abortion next day, you're fine, just go live life. It doesn't get into the reality of what does it mean to like lose a baby, like what you're talking about to have an abortion, and just like the reality of like depression. That can follow and how that can fracture families um, or couples. And so I think that it just didn't really address the reality of it. It felt a little surface level, um, a little optimistic. That was called Jane. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's gotten picked up by anyone yet, but it'll probably be picked up and shown in a movie theater. It feels like that kind of a movie. Um, I don't know. We're, we're kind of, I feel like this is the one movie where we're definitely on. Well, no, there's another one coming up. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you which one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know. But yeah, that was our number seven. Our number six is Speak No Evil. It was written and directed by Christian Taldrup and co-written by another Taldrup. Yep. So, Taldrup team. <laughs> but I, you know what? We take, take, take the lead. Because this is, this is an effed up movie. This movie very messed up what happens is two families one family from denmark one family from the netherlands meet up in italy on vacation um, become friends and after a year of being apart the family from the netherlands it was the netherlands family i believe um invites the other family to come and visit them for a splendid vacation away um and Quickly, that vacation begins going downhill through many unpleasant experiences, and it's a messed up movie, like to say the least. Uh, let me let me clarify. It's actually Christian Taftrup and Christian and Mads Taftrup, uh, the writing team. There's it's it would be very easy to spoil this super easy movie. So, I don't know. How do you want to go about this? We because this movie has been picked up by Shutter. Which, have you heard of Shudder? I have not. So Shudder's like a streaming service, but it's only for horror movies. Interesting. I It belongs there. <laughs> uh, and I don't know how many people who are listening here subscribe to Shudder. I, I've never been a subscriber, but I think you can find some classics on there. So it starts off by just, you know what? We're going to do some spoilers. We, we won't do the big, big reveal at the end, unless you really want to. Maybe we'll get froggy. Maybe. Uh, but it starts off like, for example, the, the, the original Danish family, the mom is a pescatarian, but basically vegetarian. I mean, she'll only yeah. eat fish sometimes. Yeah. And they keep offering her meat. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, it, it's weird because it's it's such a simple act. But when she says, no, thank you, they're like, no, but you have to try it in this yeah. slightly creepy way. Mm-hmm. where it's like normal adjacent you mm-hmm. can definitely see a family offering you something that's like against your diet but there's something a little off there where it's like mm-hmm. a, they seem to be doing it for a reason yeah totally and it, that's just the tip of the iceberg it becomes a weird date night scene where the couple that invited them is hosting gets a little bit too intimate for comfort um they have like a weird babysitter that comes and like watches the kids. But I think it does a, such a good job because there's even this redemption point. It seems for the host family in the movie where they're like, Oh, we're so sorry for what happened. Um, but it all just builds up to, I think the point of the movie of this is happening because you let it happen. Right. The idea that we just passively let things happen to us, that we don't actually take a stand. Um, I think that's why it does such a good job of just being, it starts unpleasant and just gets more unpleasant. I love that that's in the description of the film. It's just unpleasantness. Did you 
I didn't have to look away, but there's definitely a look away scene. Yes. I think I closed my left eye because my right eye is not as good at seeing. So I could still take in the film, but it was a little blurry. I remember I grabbed my shirt and like lifted it over my nose because it's, it's, it, it, it builds to something and it crosses a line. Mm-hmm. And whether or not you want it to cross that line, I think will determine whether or not you like this movie. Yeah. And I think that it's such a horrific film because it's not so explicitly horrific. Yeah. Right? Like, it's just, it just feels, like, too real. And I think that's just scary. <laughs> like, right? It's like, this could happen to you is almost the vibe. Would you watch another movie by this writer director yeah but just give me a couple months (laughs) (laughs) all right that was speak no evil uh cool when you finish saving the world written and directed by jesse eisenberg this is his debut and it stars julianne moore and finn wolfhard so take this one away also Uh, you're the one who really liked this one i feel like you gotta take this one okay fine 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 um julianne moore and finn wolfhard play a mother-son duo Mm -hmm. so the mom is an activist she helps run a home for women who um, and their families who maybe have abusive husbands or cannot stay where they were anymore Uh, so julianne moore's character is very progressive has gone to marches and rallies her husband is a professor at a university she loves what is she, she she loves like drinking nice wine so she's she's she likes doing stuff. It's definitely in her nature. Politics mm-hmm. is in her nature or helping people to an extent. The politics mm-hmm. of helping people also in her nature. Finn Wolfhard is a character who, uh, Zicky is his name. Mm-hmm. And he is on this social media platform. That's kind of like TikTok, TikTok adjacent mm-hmm. where he performs these original songs that are about, I don't know, being lonely or wanting the girl or all the stuff you would imagine. And he's got like the perfect teen voice mm-hmm. where it's like you could, he's not necessarily the best singer, but you've definitely heard variations of him. Mm-hmm. And it's him trying to get more invested in politics because there's a girl he likes who, who uh, is invested in politics. And it's the mom um, being trying, I don't know, trying to get more invested ish in what high schoolers want. Because there is a kid who is living in the home that she runs who um, is very caring and she's using as kind of like a surrogate son. Mm-hmm. And it's their relationship. I like the movie. I'm not going to lie. I like this movie. I feel like it's pretty smartly written. And I think that it is trying to tell an interesting story of a new generation of people who don't know where it is that they fit in and trying not to make just one thing be their identity Mm -hmm. you're not that big a fan yeah i you know i just can't tell you what it is i feel like when we reflect on it when you say that i'm like i agree you said something really fascinating i think after the movie where i was like i feel like i should just like this movie a lot more like about i think something about how like politics can be elitist yeah i was like what a great point like in the back of my mind like way to go christian you dissect that film I don't, I think even now when we brought it up, I'm like, why didn't I like it? And I think it's just, for me, I think what I said is it just doesn't feel memorable. Like it felt so subtle to me that I just can't. And I think that's the problem I ran into even when I was like, why didn't I like it? I just don't really remember it. It just like, I kind of went through the movie and was like, cool, mother, son coming close to each other, moving towards each other and understanding the son, the politics and activism, the mom you know, Gen Z. And it just, I don't know. I just got lost in the sauce maybe of the film and nothing really just like stuck out and like captured me in the movie. Did you, did you like the, I get, I mean, let me start. I, I get that. There are definitely movies where I go, eh. <laughs> or, or, or it's like, it's not that I disliked it, but in a month, I'm not going to remember you. Yeah. <laughs> or in a day, I'm not going to remember <laughs> you. So it, it's, I, I do want to ask, did you like the acting in this movie or did you like the writing besides, you know, the memorabilia of it? I, I think I did. 
I think I did. I liked Ziggy. <laughs> I think he's a meme of a character, um, but also just representative. I thought he did a good job kind of catching the Gen Z indie <laughs> make a name for myself vibe. Um, Julianne Moore. I don't know. I just wasn't melding with her character. Maybe I was a little off-put with her relationship with the surrogate son. Um it was kind of cringy, but maybe that's what it was going for of like a kid our age. He's younger, of course, who's kind of cringing at his mom. I don't know. Maybe that's what she was going for. I was just a little off put. Okay. okay yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, interesting. So, I mean, I get it. I'm not like, this isn't the movie that I'm going to fight for. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I would recommend it to people. And I'm not, I don't think you wouldn't recommend it to people. Yeah, I would just recommend the four movies above it first. There are... Oh, wait. There are four movies above it. Okay, cool. So, this movie is probably going to get picked up. Because it's a Jesse Eisenberg movie. It's got a name attached. It's got Flynn mm-hmm. Wolfhard. It's got Julia Moore. It's got names. It's going to get picked up. But um, let us know. It's, it's definitely speaking to a time culture. Yeah. All right. Number four is... After Yang. You want to take this one? Sure. Yeah. It is a time in the future. I don't even remember what year it was. I don't think they gave I don't think they gave a year. Sometime in the distant, not so distant future. And it's about a family who has adopted a child. And in this time and place, um, you are able to purchase what is known as a seat. What's it called? A techno sapien. A techno sapien. A techno sapien, which is just a robot um, that looks like a human, everything, but basically helps your adopted child immerse in their own culture. Um, and so, in this film, they adopt a Chinese daughter, and so this techno sapien is a Chinese techno sapien that knows a bunch of facts about Chinese culture, helps her progress, but basically, he dies, in a way. He's becoming undone, and his name is Yang. And so this movie is about this family processing basically the death of Yang. And it includes a deep dive into his memory. I guess it's kind of the general gist of it. So it's written and directed by Koganada. He did a movie called Columbus. Both of us saw it. Mm -hmm. We're not big fans of Columbus. Uh Uh-uh. But this movie worked a lot more for us. It stars Colin Farrell. And it, I guess like the central question is, what does it mean to be human? It's like one of those. But also grief. And I heard someone say this. I'm not going to take, I'm not going to take credit for this. But what does it mean to have something worth remembering? Hmm. The standout movie, the standout moment in this movie for me is when they access Yang's memories. First of all, the visual effects in that are out of this world. It's awesome. They are fantastic. And you go into these separate memory boxes and you see that he's lived an entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, He's much, much older than whoever sold them said he was. Yeah. And some of them are just him looking into a mirror. Mm -hmm. Or him looking at a girl. Or... Or honestly, him like looking at the girl that he's taking care of, the, the little girl that was adopted, mm-hmm. or him holding her, or him watching his mom hold her. It's to me it was moving and so delicate. But what were what were your thoughts on on that aspect of it, of caring about Yang? I thought I thought they did a great job of it. I think I definitely cared about Yang at the end. I think what was cool in diving into each of the memories was that it was each of the family members' memories with him. And so it was almost in in the way that how do they each reflect on Yang and what he meant to them, whether it's an existential conversation about life and the cycles of life, um, whether it's sharing a passion like tea making, or whether it's even just having him as like a mentor figure in their life. And so how each, I think, mem- remembered him differently, but then how that wasn't even the fullness of who he was. And I think when they started getting into, oh, he's been around a lot longer than just what was been told to this family. I think it even gets into that more essence of like being right. Like people will all remember us in different ways and different relationships, but it doesn't mean they ever have the full picture of us, which I thought was really cool in humanizing this non-human, but then it begs the question, well, how is he not human? 
So I thought they did a good job at that. I will say I've learned from this movie that anytime there's a montage with some nice music behind it, I get emotional and they just have me and I'm just like, I can't help it. So I enjoy it. There's definitely, I think, some parts of this movie that were a little slow, but overall, I think it was good. I think that that connection with Yang was moving. Now, I... Okay, so this has been picked up by A24. It premiered at a different film festival, the Cannes Film Festival, last year. Um, oh, it's actually going to be streaming on Showtime March 4th. So wow. you're going to be able to see this in just, wow, a month and like three days. Yeah. I wanted to ask you this, so... And and this isn't necessarily on after Yang, but this have you heard of the of the the distributor A twenty four? Yeah. Okay. Some of the movies that A twenty four has done, or to help distribute, Minari. Heck yeah. Ladybird. Oh yeah. Hereditary. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's this thought that A twenty four picks up the same types of movies. And they're definitely more contained movies. Mm -hmm. But thinking about, I mean, what I've just basically gave you. Mm -hmm. Moonlight was an A24 movie. Okay. The Witch, which I don't don't think I've seen The Witch. Yeah. Do you see a running theme there? In A24 films? Yes. Oh, man. I think, uh, uh, what was the second film you said? You said Minari. Ladybird? Ladybird? I don't know if that applies to Ladybird. I think definitely films about identity? Films about... They did Come On, Come On. Okay, films about identity. I think a focus on... I'd almost say the family unit. That applies to, I think, several of those films. Um, But not necessarily a specific genre. I think Hereditary really throws me off there. But Hereditary is also about the family unit. Yeah, so I'd say with the family unit and with, I think, even identity in that. Okay. This is just a thought because it's, I don't know, A24, and I I don't know how much you keep track of this, they're known for being like the indie distributor, but they're too big to be indie now. (laughs) Yeah. So I still like their movies. Yeah. All right. That was after Yang. Um, the next three. The next three is interesting because we both see them as the best three of the festival and we have them in the same mm-hmm. order. Yeah. Let's start with Emergency. Why don't I take three, you'll take two, and we'll both take one. Sounds good. Okay. Emergency. Um, cool. It's directed by Carrie Williams. It is a screenplay by... Katie Davila, it's about I know I know I know I'm 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 squinting. It's about a group of college seniors. It's two black college seniors who want to do what, what's it called a tour? Was it a tour? Like the legendary tour. Or something? The legendary tour, yeah, where they do the eleven frat house parties in one night, and if they do so, they go on to this. This wall of firsts, which is has a wall of significant first achievements done by black students in this college. Mm-hmm. These students, these two black students want different things out of life and hold different views of their own blackness and are um, planning for their future after college in different ways. Mm-hmm. One day before they're about to start their legendary tour... A girl, a white girl, has stumbled into their house, thrown up, she's very drunk, and they need to decide what to do with her. Mm-hmm. And it's playing with a bunch of, can we really call the police if we're black? Because what would they do to us? Would they think that we're the ones who have caused this? Mm-hmm. This movie's pretty great. It's so good. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's a wild ride. They're going all over. It's so funny. Very funny. And and t- tell me, give me your thoughts. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I think it's funny. There's the college experience. Um, I think a lot of the genius of the movie is how it takes something um, that seems so small and straightforward, like 
finding someone who's just drunk and passed out. Um, it makes it so complex. And with that, giving so much commentary about our society today from, you know, the questions of what do two black men do when they find a passed out white girl on their floor? And that whole night ensues from that of not feeling like they can go to the cops. At one point, their van light gets taken out and their back light. And like, what happens if we go on a main road and we get pulled over? And so a simple task because becomes so much harder because of their race and their perception of the scene and what's happening. But also, I think within that, talking about black identity as well between the two characters, how they both have very different experiences with the cops. One believes that they should just go straight to the cops. The other has a very negative experience and family history with the cops and police brutality and... And so even seeing that and how they're both black, one's not less black than the other, but just that conflict um, amongst them. And then also the dynamic of their third roommate, right? Who's not black, um, but still a person of color. And so the whole dynamic of the three of them, I think it was comical, but it really was sealed at the end when they complete their journey wherever they're going and they're told that next time, they should just call and let the professionals do it. And it's like kind of the blindness in that one line of all that they've gone through and been processing that night. And what I love is that, so RJ Seiler plays Sean and Donald Elise Watkins plays Kunle. Mm-hmm. And they're the two characters we're talking about. They are fully fleshed out characters. Mm-hmm. And they're providing a very three-dimensional view of black identity that you don't get to see that often. Yeah. And the way that they're looking at authority in different ways and even their views on authority are shifting. Mm -hmm. And their views are something as simple as how do I live up to this identity that has been pressed onto me Mm -hmm. and that for some reason I can't choose to live for myself. And the comedy is so good because you're laughing at, at kind of awful and uncomfortable things but you're never laughing at them. It, it's just kind of like, oh, Fred. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The reality, yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, of course she woke up and now is drunk again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, man, any scene, any other scene stick out to you from this movie? Oh, man. Any other scene? There's so many good <laughs> scenes that are in there. One that comes to mind, though, is <laughs> they go... Um, I just forgot the two names. Not Kunle, but... Sean? But they go to Sean's brother's house trying to get a car. And one, Kunle goes in and um, and he's scared of all of Sean's... His brother and all of his friends. And so he, one, he goes and hides in the bathroom. Iconic scene. <laughs> but then later, uh, their third roommate comes in with the girl. And she like throws up and falls on the floor. And everyone in the house is like, oh heck no and like everyone stands up and just leaves the house and like runs away it was so comical but then also like so real of like we don't want to be anywhere around this scene like heighten the reality but also just i thought it was so comical at sean's brother's house so um another part of this movie is that this this drunk girl's sister is looking for her and with her is this guy named Raphael. Mm-hmm. Raphael does not look hispanic <laughs> as they make abundantly clear uh-huh his cousin um, does. Mm-hmm. And they ask them, how are you two cousins? <laughs> <laughs> and it's that one where they don't want to say, you look white, you don't look white, but that's what they're... <laughs> the, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I mean, you've met my dad. I'm much lighter than my dad. <laughs> so, and, and my mom's much lighter than I am. So it's, I don't know, that, 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 that struck home for me, but... Also, I love the ending scene. Like mm. that, because there are two endings-ish. Yeah. One's very dark, but the other one's very hopeful. Yeah, I'd say so. All right. Emergency. Top two. Now, these top two, I gave both of them four and a half stars. I'm excited to see them again. I'm excited to show other people them. Well, honestly, this next one, fresh, I don't know how many people are going to want to see. Yeah. <laughs> or going to be thankful that I showed it to them. But 
um, directed by Mimi by Mimi Cave, and it is written by Lauren Kahn. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's Lauren Kahn. Lauren Kahn. Take it away. Sweet. Number two, fresh. Yeah, and this is a film about a man who woos women and basically takes him on takes them on a weekend getaway to his house where he drugs them, actually cages them up, and over time, while keeping them alive, begins to how do you even say it? Dismember. Dismember and sell their meat to people all over the country, and I assume the world. The top one of the top one percent. Top one percent of the top one percent. And it's just this grueling uh, this grueling commentary really on like modern dating. But yeah, what were your thoughts, Christian? I mean, I've never been on a date like this. <laughs> <laughs> it it's it, it it's not it's kind of women empowerment film, mm-hmm. but much more so a men are scum film. Mm-hmm. But not that, like the, um, there are so many awful things to modern dating that still restrict women. Hmm. For example, the idea that women should be dating Mm -hmm. or the idea that women should be thankful for the guy, regardless of what he was like, or, um, men still mistreating, mistreating women in, in, a line or two basically mm-hmm. taking away their agency mm-hmm. and feeling like they have all the power and here it's literally a man played by sebastian stan who is great he does a great job in a oh, bad way hey <laughs> great job in a bad way was literally taking a woman apart women apart bit by bit until there's nothing left mm-hmm. it, it's it's also funny at yes. times mm-hmm. and the thing that's the most uncomfortable is that Daisy Edgar Jones plays Noah, Sebastian Stan plays Steve. They have such a good chemistry with each other. Yeah. And so, like, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Totally. Yeah, I just think that the commentary of it, too. I remember there's one scene of just where he talks about... Sebastian Stan basically has this whole conversation about how he's just enthralled with this experience and the taste of it, but... This he uses the language of how when he consumes the meat, it's the two becoming one, and that just like so struck home of like this idea of like modern dating, of its objectification and consumption of someone else. That instead of two people coming together in a relationship, it's one actually overpowering the other one, and that metaphor of a woman slowly just disappearing, just was so powerful and like just heightened throughout it all. And just the horror of it. And at the end, I don't want to, spo- I guess I don't really want to spoil it, but just a text coming through saying you up, I think just like brought it all home of while maybe women aren't actually being chopped up. It's like in a metaphorical sense, they are right. And, and so I think it was just like this thing that even as a man, right. It's just like, oh, and there's even this scene where a man comes up and could help. And as soon as he, it seems like something's going on, something scary, rough, he just leaves. And so it's even like the the hesitancy of men to actually stand up and speak um, and act on behalf of others. Yes. And I think that if, if, if this man had helped, it would have been a much less impact. Well, it would have had different repercussions. Mm-hmm. But wow, this is... It, it, it's a hard watch. It's an entertaining watch. I, I would also say it's a necessary watch. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that was... That was fresh. That's number two. Just don't eat before. If, I mean, it's saying that the meat tastes good. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, there, there's, there's a biting sequence in this movie. <laughs> I don't need to think about that, Christian, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number one. Number one. Cha-Cha Real Smooth. Hey. Who wrote and directed it? Cooper Rafe, the legend. And he stars in this alongside which actress? Dakota Johnson. This movie is about a man who graduates from college and moves back home, doesn't know what to do, and stumbles upon a job planning 
bar and bat mitzvahs. Yeah, he's a party starter. He gets the party going at all of them. He's a party starter, but he's also unsure of what to do in life. Mm-hmm. And then the Dakota Johnson character enters. Mm-hmm. Yes, she enters. Um, has a daughter who is on the spectrum. Doesn't have really any relation with other kids her age. She's actually, I think, held back a couple years. And he befriends them. And it's really this exploration of parenting. And I think perspective that comes as you begin to leave the house and become your own. And that process of reflecting on your childhood and what it meant. And how you view your parents as well. So... We both saw his first movie, Shithouse, mm-hmm. Cooper Rave's first movie. Amazing. Amazing movie about a college freshman not knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. He is younger than I am. I'm not going to share my thoughts on what I feel about that. <laughs> Cooper Rafe is younger than I am, but it is... Okay, let me, let me speak about this as a writer. When he writes his characters... He cares about them. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no cliffhanger ending, necessarily. He wants you to know that these people whom we've spent time seeing and want to be okay will be okay. Yeah. And, I mean, Andrew's Andrew, who's his character, mm-hmm. is, I think, representative of so many of us who, who think that at the end of one stage of life, and this is definitely like the end of college, what are you supposed to do? Mm-hmm. It could probably be taken like at the end of this job, what am I supposed to do? Or um, at the end of this relationship, what am I supposed to do? At the mm-hmm. end of one stage of life, it's a transitionary period, and we think that pieces are going to fall together, but they don't. Mm-hmm. And it's so honest, but also this character is going through it, and he's not always the nicest guy. Yeah. But he's so honest in how he is. He knows he's not the nicest, nicest guy, but he's trying. And Dakota Johnson is someone who's, what, 10 years older than him? At least. At least 10 years older than him. And she's like, there was a time when I was there. Mm-hmm. And I miss that time. And it's very much one is trying to move forward too fast and one is trying to rewind the clock. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about their chemistry? <sighs> Man, well, one, I think that they did have chemistry. There's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole scene in there, let's call it the otter pop scene, where yeah, they, they're yeah, yeah. just connecting. And it's like this tearing down of walls for Dakota Johnson's character in that scene, where you can tell she's just been carrying the responsibility of being a mom, right? And all the care that comes with that and trying to establish a life of security and moving forward. Um, and now here's this, you know, breath of fresh air. Someone who reminds her probably of her younger years um, and that kind of dreaminess of it. And I love how they're able to take those moments and get us as the audience being like, wow, they're pretty sweet. Like, what? A, like they're really connecting. And she just, be, like, her walls come down, able to just be vulnerable. But then the, he never loses the realism, I think, in the movie with the characters. Um and so even Dakota Johnson game to like lay that out. And there is another man in her life. I won't say too much about him, but I like that he's not a total prick. Like even he was written carefully. But I thought that their chemistry was pretty incredible. This is very much a movie that gives you I don't know, life, mm-hmm. energizes you, pushes you forward. Having seen both movies, let's compare them a little bit. Hmm. He writes himself into his movies, mm-hmm. and he's always a guy who's trying to put up a front that he knows what's going on, but doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's willing to write himself as a character who's not okay, that I admire. Mm-hmm. He's not overtly confident, but there's some confidence there. Yeah, He's not a complete jerk, but he's... He has some bitterness in him. And he's always the guy who's at the cusp of trying to figure stuff out. So so what do you what do you see as, as kind of like a running through line in his movies? Uh I think I think that a lot of it is that I think transition is a recurring theme running through, whether it's the start of college, end of college moving on. I think 
relationship to his family has been a recurring theme. And the first one is that he's really in shit house. It's that he's really close to his family. And how do you, how do you move away from family in order to have a fresh start? Whereas I think this one is a lot more of how do you appreciate your family and how do you view your family, especially in just how you become and how you've grown up. Um, there's even a beautiful scene in this movie where he looks at his mom. He's like, I love my childhood. And so she like starts breaking down. I'm like, I feel like any mom would just break down if their kid was like, hey, I love my childhood. Um, and so I think there's a transition, a reflection, an identity and how you relate to your family. Yeah, what it means to be successful, what it means to be relationally capable. I think that's a huge theme in Shithouse between his whole conversation with, I don't remember the other girl's name in that one, but just how do you be a good human? I think is such a recurring theme throughout it all, which I think is something that we actually need to get back to talking about as a society. I think we've done a lot of theorizing and a lot of growth intellectually, and we have the best technology we've ever had. But like the morality of it is something that's just not explored. Like, how do we just be good people? Um, which I think he really gets into a lot in his film. You see that. I love his relationship even in Cha-Cha Real Smooth with other kids, right? They're all like 13-year-olds and he has scenes with them and just like relating and being figures that they can look up to. And he's not always nice to them, mm-hmm. but when he's not, he realizes that. Mm-hmm. Which you see a character make mistakes and try to learn from them, mm-hmm. even if they're micro mistakes. Um, her name was Maggie from Shithouse. Okay. And I, I wanted to know, do you... Okay, so Cha-Cha Real Smooth was the audience favorite for for, <laughs> for Sunday. We nailed that. And we, for the record, we said it was number one of our watch before we knew that. We did say it was number one of our watch before we knew that. It was the audience favorite. It's been bought by Apple TV Plus for $15 million. The last time that, <laughs> the last time that Apple bought a movie... It, I mean, it was for more money, but it was it was Coda last year, mm-hmm. which also won the audience favorite. Yep. Now, do you have a preference between the two? You asked me this question, and I told you I've only seen Cha Cha once, mm-hmm. and so it's difficult. I think that if you were to, well, I'm actually going to change my answer. I think that if you were to 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 say, you know, yeah, I have to answer now. I would probably say Cha Cha Real Smooth. Mm-hmm. Literally ten seconds ago, I would have said, <laughs> but 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 it, it does feel like he increased in scope a little bit with this movie. Mm-hmm. Do you have do you have a favorite? Oh man, I, I don't know if I have a favorite <laughs> right now. I think that the dynamics really change. I think that this one it definitely has more of an ensemble of a cast that he works with a lot better, which just I think changes the the dynamic. Shit House has full scenes of just dialogue of them just walking and talking um whereas this i think it he does a lot more i think with the whole cast um which shows that he's versatile yeah which is super impressive but it just makes it hard yeah to compare i think my first like i walking away like blown away i think i was more blown away by my first viewing of shit house okay but i think this one i was like that was such a good move like like, <laughs> like i think if i watched it again i could easily change my mind but right now yeah It'll come to Apple TV Plus later this year. It it's it's watch shithouse. It's on Showtime. I will Venmo you two dollars if you need to rent it. Whoa. Like I'm not I'm not kidding. It is that good of a movie. And this guy who is younger than me, <laughs> and he already has two movies in 2020 and 2022. He's already been hired to direct a movie. Um, the name of it escapes me, and he's already been hired to be the showrunner for a TV show on Amazon. Wow. He's got a long career ahead of him, and, and I'm really excited for him. Cooper, I'm wishing you the best, buddy. And if you're listening. <laughs> and if you're listening, um, let's go on a hike. One of us won't come back. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I would like to go on a, on a non-lethal hike with you, but, but that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Dope. That was... That's our list. That is it. That is Sundance 2022. Sundance 2022. You want to do Sundance 2023? <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't have the list in front of me. So I'm going to go off of the top of my head which ones our movies were. At 11, we had Duel. Yes. 
At 10... No, I don't want to see. At 10, we had Alice. Mm-hmm. Okay, at 9, we had... Was it... Was it 8, 9, 2? Okay. At 8, we had... Was it... Was it... Leonor Will Never Die? 7 was Call Jane. Yep. 6 was... When You Finish Saving the World... No. Oh, darn. What was 6? Speak No Evil. Mm-hmm. And then 5... Five, you got five through. Do the rest. <laughs> <laughs> when you finish saving the world, at five. Number four, we had after Yang. Sorry, Yang. At three, <laughs> we had emergency. At two, we had fresh. And at one, we had a cha-cha real smooth. Amazing. All right. I'm excited. I'm, I don't know. I think this makes me like movies. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't before, but now, now you're sold. <laughs> I'm excited to I'm excited to see these movies come out. There are movies from Sundance we obviously didn't get to yeah. that we wish we could have, mm-hmm. but in the future, anything is possible. Anything is possible. All right. Thank you for coming on the show, Tyler. Of course, love it. Until the next time we see you, this has been the Cinematrip Podcast. Drip.